0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes.
1: You want to know what I think? Yes. I think you're some kind of deviated prevert. I think General Ripper found out about your preversion, and that you were organizing some kind of mutiny of preverts. Now move. <laughs> Thank uh-huh. <laughs>
2: Very bad wizards.
0: Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston,
2: and I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. And I am clearly the one without the stroke going on right now. (laughs) Tamler unfortunately can't actually say the intro anymore. I've
0: just I'm I'm over it. This is the last time we're ever going to say it. We're doing uh, we're doing a different intro next time. I don't know what it is yet, but we're doing a different one. I can't say it with any kind of do your
1: research. I've heard the the recovery rate for Bell's palsy is pretty good though. Uh, (laughs) Because it's been
2: a few years for Tandler. (laughs) And and that voice that you hear is our guest for today. Uh, uh, Cognitive psychologist, evolutionary psychologist. I don't know. Yeah. Author. Let's just say author now. And and a good friend of mine, Jesse Baring, who is uh, Skyping in from upstate New York, where he reads about Nabokov and writes books. Um, thanks for coming on.
1: Not anymore. I'm not as much of a fan of Nabokov as I, as I used to be, since I learned that he was really? homophobic, why? and um, I had some nasty sides to him, too. I mean, I'm you, certainly a fan so, of his writing. Why are you
2: so prejudiced against
1: homophobes? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> they're, they're so likable.
2: So he was a homophobic, and his brother was gay? Well, I Nabokov. mean, he
1: wasn't like violently homophobic or anything like that, but he had, he had a number of sort of, um, you know, snide comments. If you actually read Lolita quite closely and, and some of the other works, it's well pale
0: fire pale fire the guy is charles kinboat is is gay he always struck me He's as always having as sexual, these young it? boys over to play ping pong in the basement <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah wait that's wrong dave, dave has a young boy Completely locked in his basement
2: right now <laughs> <laughs> i feel um so actually so uh let's if if you don't know jesse Baring's work then you, i don't think you've been on the internet very much but uh, this discussion is hopefully a, a little taste of of what what Jesse writes about. A little Let's taste say, of tastelessness. Yeah. So you started off with uh, with your work really on on evolution as and natural selection as sort of a cause of our religious and supernatural beliefs, or at least that's what you sort of cut your teeth on as an author, right?
1: Um, yeah, the you know I've I started my career as an academic writing about the. Uh, the evolutionary history of religion why we believe in god which i've never been a believer i've always seen god more as sort of an an illusion an elaborate psychological illusion and i wanted to get to the bottom of that so i spent the first 10 years of my life basically trying to understand uh, why people reason this way about destiny and purpose and the afterlife and
0: so do you have a capsule view on the role of natural selection in motivating or
2: our our religious beliefs
1: Mm, it's hard to put into a nutshell which is never a good well, that's because you're too close. Theory.
2: Yeah, let me let me give it. Is this fair to say it, uh, that that uh, supernatural beliefs are a byproduct of our cog- evolved cognitive structures that evolved for other reasons entirely?
1: Right. I mean, to me theory of mind is really the key cognitive component that allows us to think about these grand, these grand existential questions like what our minds will be like after we die or the minds of others after they die or why god is doing what he's doing putting ourselves into god's shoes taking his perspective i mean basically when we're thinking about god we're playing the role of psychoanalysis and trying to understand why bad things happen to good people it doesn't make any sense we're trying to put ourselves into god's shoes so to speak and without a theory of mind of course we simply couldn't engage in that that exercise but i think it was a a byproduct of our everyday social interactions with other people that kind of spilled over into this other religious domain and then i I suppose what separates me from maybe some of the other theorists in this area is that I, i believe that it was a uh that as a byproduct it was then subjected to natural selection uh, once, oh, it, once it, it happened helped. as a oh. byproduct, then it evolved sort of its own uh, interesting devices.
0: So can you give an example of some well, of those interesting devices? The, that the, Yeah,
1: I mean, are- I think that what, what, it, what it did as a consequence of spilling over into this other territory is that it addressed a critical problem for our species, which was... The problem of language um and when we think about the evolution of language of course it's always or typically it's seen as a very positive thing it allowed us to share our feelings and our emotions and you know our beliefs and and share technical information from generation to generation this sort of cognitive scaffolding that tomasello talks about for instance um but it came with a, a dark side i suppose in the sense that uh, it also uh, motivated gossip a really uh potent uh virulent gossip uh, and we were collecting information about others but we were also but they were collecting information about us um so the the basic argument that i've made is that uh, when we when we suffer the illusion or we have the illusion that there's a uh, there's a mind that is concerned about our social behaviors um it's going to prevent us from doing things that other people would talk about and therefore buy our reputation which would translate to genetic fitness deficits and um uh, it, Allow or encourage us to inhibit these prepotent, selfish responses.
2: Right. And so, there's some, yeah, the, the thought that there's an invisible observer. Yeah, it's a
1: moral police dog, sort of right, sort of right. watch you know, watchdog sort of thing. Right.
2: So we may have needed it to to become the co- cooperative species.
1: Well, um, that's my argument, and I but but I also say that I don't think that we need it anymore because technology has largely replaced this eye in the sky. You know, we've right. got
2: well, thanks for telling us now. Natural selection already solved. We still the problem. Can't,
1: yeah, 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 we still can't right. get rid of it. It's still there. We just sort of aligns. now we have Google. We've got Google, we've got DNA, we've analysis, got the NSA, yeah. NSA. You know, airport security, all that stuff, hidden cameras. <laughs> I mean, it does basically what God was designed to do.
2: Um, you know, I want to I want to point something out because our listeners won't be able to see this, but Jesse right now is standing. Uh, there's a bright mirror right behind him, and he looks like a saint. Like this glow, yeah. There's this yeah, beautiful glow. He looks very glow. beatific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I think we're sharing that,
1: the truth with a capital T. <laughs> I
2: think I think that we're doing a disservice because you sound actually like such a reasonable, good scholar right now. And really, what we wanted to talk to you about was Yeah, I want to talk it was, controversy. Was, it was penises and
0: vaginas. <laughs>
1: I want, but but, all, but can, we, can we? Can we? It's related to God somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let, let's talk a bit about evolutionary psychology because I, there's there's probably no more controversial topic within the scientific community than evolutionary psychology. I mean, it has some of the most vocal opponents, and their opposition is is fierce to what is essentially supposed to be a, a scientific theory. You're, you're a card-carrying evolutionary psychologist, right? Are you happy to call yourself that?
1: Not really, actually. I, I mean, I, I certainly write extensively about evolutionary psychology and evolutionary psychological findings um, because I happen to find it incredibly interesting and fascinating and revealing about human nature. But I would not call myself professionally an evolutionary psychologist. I think I'm sympathetic to the work that they do But but I'm more of of a cognitive scientist. I mean, I I, I, my own research has been more, you know, less, you know, sort of traditional standard textbook evolutionary psychology and more cognitive science. But I make a lot Um, of evolutionary arguments. I mean, that's right. So, so we should mention
2: your book on this. Like, and I always forget which of the titles is the British title and the the Evolution of God one.
1: Oh uh, well, the, the the religion book in the US it was called the belief instinct
2: the belief instinct like, and the, There's the God instinct. The God is instinct is right, in right, the right.
1: UK, which it was, I didn't like either title to be honest. I mean, the original title was <laughs> Under God's Skin, um, but they wanted they wanted something that was a little bit more transparent. I think bastards.
2: Yes. <laughs> so for better I like for, that. for better under God's skin.
1: <laughs> Under I've God's learned that authors foreskin. have very. How about Under over <laughs> These types of things, yeah, Under His foreskin, yeah. I
0: don't think he has. Foreskin. Oh, that would that
2: would reunite the two threads of your reason.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, but for yeah. better or for worse, i
2: like Tambler's question is really: you are considered by many to be a.
1: a I am like perceived a, that way. Sure,
2: you're, yeah. you're a very vocal proponent at least. Well,
0: and and word. not
2: completely without
0: reason, right? right? So the the you wrote one maybe one of your most controversial, Slate articles. Uh, we should note that Jesse yeah. writes
2: a very entertaining column. My introduction failed p- miserably to mention what actually Jesse is and what he does, but yeah. yeah. He, he uh, writes that, <laughs> but, but, but you did mention that he's in upstate New York. So yeah, that was the relevant really appreciate And that yeah. he's standing in front of a window.
0: Yes. yes. <laughs> and he's standing in front of a mirror. Yeah. So you wrote in that column that natural selection had equipped women with ways of resisting rape and avoiding getting pregnant by a rape. Mm -hmm. And this is pre that whole ridiculous... A woman's body shuts down. Who is that? Todd Aiken, Right. <laughs> right this was this right, was like right, three right. years ago, uh-huh. and you certainly weren't saying anything like that. But you were. Well, do you remember that column Absolutely, and what's yes. the? <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> the internet remembers Jesse. Yeah, you know? it's hard to forget.
0: Uh, well, there were a couple. So the the I have the article up right here. So uh, it was one. I mean, I for, should
1: say it was one of those pieces that when i wrote it and i shared it with my editor of course everything is vetted you know yeah. assuming the editor will take the perspective of the audience and how the audience will respond to it there was absolutely no red flags when at that level of analysis. like We didn't anticipate there would be any sort of major reaction to the, the, the piece uh, as I had written it, because I thought there were sufficient caveats, and I certainly wasn't advocating rape or <laughs> anything. Right. Well, you know, no, of course not. Like,
0: I mean, this is it. one of the weird things about evolutionary psychology, is you give an, an adaptive explanation for something, and people think you're all of a sudden that goes into the realm of moral justification. Yeah, it's so. clear from the article that you're not doing that. I mean, but I, let me yeah, just, just to set it up sure, for the sure. listeners, Right, so there are a couple of things. So you say uh, this is a, it's a, an adaptive problem for ancestral women that human females would would be raped. It would be it would harm their reproductive fitness. And so you write it is plausible that human females would have evolved a set of counter adaptations to prevent them from being raped, and that these anti rape adaptations would be activated specifically during the woman's most fertile period. Mm-hmm. Um, of her reproductive cycle. And then you say, here are four empirically validated uh, rape avoidance mechanisms.
1: Which was not my Uh, my terminology, I shouldn't. I I mean, this is the conventional terminology that's used in the evolutionary psychology literature, so I was simply (laughs) reporting, you know, the standard sort of language. uh,
0: When threatened by sexual assault, ovulating woman will have a measurable increase in physical strength. And so you quote a study where, I guess, hand grips, right? They're, they're able to grip things more tightly or something. Uh, when they're at highest yeah, risk, like,
1: risk of uh, conception, yeah.
0: That they will overestimate strange males' probability of being rapists. That's true. I, Jen was going through her ovulating period uh,
2: ovulating
0: period. <laughs> in, when, when Dave and I were in Costa Rica And she was sure that Dave was a rapist well, At yeah. that point
2: well, uh, Accuracy and uh, bias just tend to meet Just because he's <laughs>
1: aroused by rape Doesn't make him
2: a rapist
0: <laughs> Oh man But, but the most contra- <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sorry Dave
0: uh, but- <laughs> We'll talk about my the, next The most controversial yes. one was, the, As I'm sure you remember Is that women become more racist When they're ovulating uh, oh, I forgot
2: about that. Right? Yeah,
0: that. And actually, this ties in nicely with what we were talking about with Paul Bloom. He has a view of that somebody's race is just a signal that they're out group, and that's also uh, a view that you sort of uh, talk about here. Yeah, that's, here, that's is the that, argument.
1: It's not that we evolved yeah. to be ra- racist. Yeah, uh, right. it's Simply that you know this would be a, 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 a clear hallmark, um, right. the color of somebody's it, skin, that they were not an in group member because they a, And wouldn't.
2: in fa- and in fact, it doesn't. No, sorry. In fact, it doesn't make any evolutionary sense. No, because race of would be skin Q, right?
1: color. No, we wouldn't have had. Yeah, any, we wouldn't have had contact. It doesn't evolve that right. quickly. I think it's. Uh, I mean, I think that there's. I mean, it was just a suggestive finding. I think there's lots of other ways to get at that same question. You could. You would also hypothesize. I would imagine on the basis of that uh, theoretical model that that women who are at the highest risk of conception would also. Be most antagonistic to people with foreign accents, um, right. Like right. Dif- you know, expressing different cultural rituals, all sorts of things. Anything that would indicate a different, uh, or you know, a conflicting group.
2: So, so on the one hand, this seems like actually like a, a, an optimistic story that that essentially is saying like, look, the men, males have been raping females throughout evolutionary history, and uh, and that's that's not a good thing. Um, and luckily, natural selection has at least tried to make up for this by giving women some, some defense. So, this, and I think Tambo's question is, why, why does evolutionary psychology. Not that, not get...
1: that, not that natural selection is intentional or anything like that. No, no, no. Yeah, we should make that. <laughs> so there's, it granted we're, we're, them access to these
2: I actually just, I just replaced no, natural selection with a case it. study it's
0: of an evolutionary psychology. Finding or you know hypothesis or theory that just gets trashed for a number of different reasons some a lot more legitimate um, than others right so let's talk about the clearly what I think is illegitimate um, can
1: I can I just add one more thing to that yeah. rape issue though because I've I've yeah. since learned that there's there's another set of data that I if I had rewritten that piece I would I would package this along with it um, some findings by uh, Dan Fessler's lab at uh, uh, UC...
0: UCLA. UCLA. And
1: Carlos David Navarrete, I believe, who who found that women who are um, ovulating find uh, sexual deviance, sexual deviation... Uh, to be more disgusting subjectively uh, than women who are not at that period of time. Uh, period that's nice. Cycle.
2: We we got a link to that uh, actually. Maybe I should mention because I don't think that listeners get this, but uh, we try to actually link on the on the Very Bad Wizards page to all of the articles that we talk about. So if you haven't seen it, go get it. We'll link to all Jesse's books and and his Slate pieces and all that. Uh, so that's a really interesting finding. Actually.
1: Yeah, I thought so. I, yeah, because so there the, op- just- the opposite pattern with men because when men are highly aroused, their disgust threshold lo- uh, lowers. Yeah, the right. fences go down. They'll have sex with anything pretty much. Yeah. But it's the opposite for women because of parental investment uh, theory and you know the, you, the, the, the risk essentially of getting pregnant. That's when they're the most vulnerable.
2: You should see Tamler when he's aroused. He's like following dogs around. It's, oh, I
1: have, crazy. David. I really
2: am. <laughs> well, I'm only
0: times. following dogs around because I want to have sex with let's dogs. Just say
1: this is not the fir- Let's just say this is not the first time that I've seen Tamler on Skype. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I've jerked off to one of Jesse's dogs
2: This guy. <laughs> I don't know well, about that. <laughs> So, so what?: you're we're saying, like, so one reason is,
0: is... one. I do. That's my deviancy is uh, I'm sexually <laughs> yeah. attracted to dogs. I'm sorry. If that's if you wrong, know, you know, I don't want I, I to be right.
1: I talk about zoophilia, actually, in my next book, but there's a, the, the acronym of LGBT. Um, I've seen recently some zoophiles adding the Z at the end of that. Oh, episode. wow.
2: Which well, is, oh, we go. We'll get to all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, so, so let me ask this first of all. So, here's what I think is a clearly illegitimate criticism: that somehow this kind of theory, that somehow this is a justification for rape or, I mean, I don't even get it. I don't I don't get the leap from, and, and this is true with a lot of these kinds of criticisms of evolutionary psychology and the theories, that somehow that you want to justify whatever immoral act that the theory is trying to explain. Because
1: How- the only way that I can understand it is this sort of fundamental misinterpretation that what... Um, by simply addressing these things from a mechanistic evolutionary perspective and talking about them, we are implying that they are uncontrollable. It's all deterministic that men have absolutely no, I mean, this is how we evolved to work. Therefore we shouldn't be punished for our natural instincts and all that business, which is nonsense. Of course. I mean, that's, at never ever ever any place in anything that I've written that we are completely um, incapable of somehow being aware of the way that we've evolved to function and changing or manipulating that adaptive response. People see evolution explanations as simply being... No different than genetic determinism. It's in your genes, therefore, right. this is right. what you're evolved to do, and well, we can't change a, it.
2: And, and you add to that this tendency to think that to explain is to forgive. And, and I'll add that I don't think that what's going on is that it's just a cognitive error. I don't think that what people's problem is is that they don't understand that adaptive explanations aren't justifications because you don't hear people get up in arms uh, when you say men evolved to be violent because of, like, intergroup warfare or whatever, Um, people don't think that what you're doing is excusing murderers. But when you say that men evolved to be rapists, all of a sudden the red flags go up. And here's one reason why maybe it's it's, uh, a bit more uh, understandable in that case. Because rapists, murderers aren't going around saying, like, uh, well, dude, you know, like, I couldn't help, I couldn't help my violent tendencies, but rapists might just cling to something like this. Rapists might actually say, say like, "Well, look, like there's yeah."
1: yeah. And I mean, the problem is, it is actually quite complicated. And I mean, even independent of these issues, there are there are the questions of um, rape paraphilias, for instance. Yeah. If somebody is simply they, the only way they can actually get aroused is through rape, then that right. You know that's that's a problem <laughs> they've got a problematic yeah. sexual orientation uh, yeah. that but they again, really do have no control not, over yeah.
0: but that's a separate issue, whether that is a product of natural selection oh, or yeah, whether that's, that's you know, a product that's, of like their psychology. upbringing and right i mean the you can give any kind of explanation and you know, I don't see why the genetic one is supposed to excuse
2: more than a cultural. Well, one. I think I think again here that that it's just that the genetic explanations seem deeper, right? but all, all I'm saying is I don't think that they're misapplying a rule reliably like I don't think that people are going around like for like when you say your digestive system evolved to eat certain things like they're not well I mean some people use it in that case, but I think that it's just I mean, in particular people are motivated to to I like,
1: can't help but stop at Mcdonald's every time I pass <laughs> yeah, The you know. other thing of course is that um I think there's this uh, assumption that simply by giving any recognition to evolutionary interpretations you are negating the role of you know other right right
2: like factors, moral education like, for instance yeah, like, like yeah, yeah.
1: nobody is no nobody that does evolutionary psychology or does it well at least would um, you know would say that there aren't a whole host of other factors that are going into the final product right, um, right. is
2: it the evolutionary psychologists who do need to do a better job at explaining this or is it just the masses that are because sometimes I wonder like there are a lot of evolutionary psychologists who actually are militant. They well, there are, some- yeah,
1: I mean, there are militants on every side. Of course, there are militant postmodernists, too, that think that, you know, we can just sort of it from scratch and become many you know, have any human nature that we, we dream of. But, yeah. um, but
0: there is kind of a bunker mentality among even really good evolutionary psychologists, the Cosmides and 2B crowd. It's a religion,
2: of- Jesse. No, <laughs> is it? no, maybe,
0: no. I mean, but like, there's like, a, I think yeah. this is just natural, right? If you're getting attacked and a lot of the attacks are unfair, you are going to really dig your heels in right. and.
1: It's possible. And I've been criticized in the past for, you know, giving air or recognition to evolutionary theories that haven't been empirically verified or they're questionable or dubious or controversial for different reasons. And. Um, some you know some readers would see that as irresponsible that I'm even sort of giving you know writing about these things when first of all they're they can be misunderstood and second of all there's no clear data to support them. I don't see it that way. I mean, I see any idea as being uh, any idea that I'm simply fascinated by and interested in. I'm I'm gonna write about because I want to. Thank you very much because I find it interesting. Um, so I've written about things like um, you know is it adaptive to be homophobic for instance you know there are some right, there's yeah. some evolutionary ex- explanations Another for controversy. the not not you know we typically ask what you know is there an evolutionary role or is there some reason that adaptive reason that people become homosexual um, the other side of that question of course is is there some adaptive reason that we're homophobic and i find both <laughs> questions interesting uh, to be honest You're such a systems so to so let me Yeah. So somehow, somehow, just acknowledging, you know, looking at that, and this this was a uh, theoretical hypothesis by Gordon Gallup, um, who, uh, you know, basically he had he had some survey data, which was not terribly convincing. But I thought, you know, he had an interesting hypothesis that um, homophobic reactions flare up primarily when people are thinking about their children. and oh, yeah, their exposure to you know gay people and so on that's when they that's when you find these latent biases really sort of emerge and whether or not it's true that you know being we can be imprinted our sexual orientation by early childhood experience experiences by gays and lesbians. Um I don't think there's any evidence of that. But still people can be operating with that folk assumption.
0: Oh so so the 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 fear is not that you are that they're going to rape the child, but that they are going to
1: uh change turn the orientation I think that would be the, the sort of the ultimate yeah. fear, yeah. I mean the proximate fear might be somehow some sort of molestation or rape or whatever. Right. But um the, from a genetic, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, it's that obviously it would not be in your best reproductive interests for your child to be attracted only to the same sex. Um, That seems pretty clear. So
0: so let me ask you a a question now, like of of an objection that I find to be more legitimate. It's, it is something that I think sometimes evolutionary psychologists don't give enough attention to is whether any of these um, traits that you're talking about Are or even could be heritable. So something as complicated as being homophobic, is that how does that get past? down from parent to offspring or, you know, the the rape case could be another example of yeah. this too. How, you know, is, is this really I something? Think it, I think are it's, there fair, the mecha- it's fair to say mechanism. that the
1: mechanisms are not discussed adequately by evolutionary psychologists, but then again, they're not biologists and you know, they're really not sort of talking at that level of analysis. I think that there needs to be better integration between uh, evolutionary biology and psychological approaches to human nature. I don't think that anybody would argue that there's something like a homophobia module or a rape module or something right. ridiculous like that. This- but we're a but,
0: racist module, at, a racist at ovulation module, right, right. right?
1: But I think that we inherit not only genetic material, but we inherit – as a species, we, we inherit sort of a set of social conditions as well that are, that are just simply expected to emerge barring any you know, incredibly strange developmental uh, experience. Um, so we all come into the world with the same, you know, the same basic set of social factors and expectations, and our genes interact in very complex ways with that information.
2: Right and there's a difference I mean, between like we there are a lot of things that we have evidence for heritability but have no idea what the genetic mechanism is and I think that sometimes people understand the word heritability to mean genetic like understood gene transmission like we know we know intelligence is heritable to some degree most personality characteristics are heritable mental disorders are heritable sexual um, orientation is heritable sexual orientation <laughs> is heritable we don't know a, yeah
1: another good example would be like religiosity like there's there's right, evidence right. that religiosity as a personality construct is heritable but how that expresses itself can be dramatically different in a set of identical twins. So one identical twin, for example, might be incredibly evangelical and a fundamentalist Christian, the past, you know, a priest or whatever. And the other could be just, you know, a die-hard screaming atheist, but they both have very intense feelings about religion. And that's what's inherited. It's sort of the, right. the, the, personality substructure that underlies religious thought. Right.
0: So you're saying, but it's it fair to say that, that an evolutionary psychologist, should have evidence of heritability before giving an adaptive explanation for uh, a complex trait like, say, homophobia or uh, rape, rape avoidance adaptations. If you don't have evidence, then is, you know, the old just so story. Accusation that that Stephen Jay Gould leveled, which is often very unfair, but then it seems to have more force. Well, I mean, if, if we you are, don't, if know we are, are talking about psychological
1: heritable. adaptations, we we wouldn't find a lot of heritability. In fact, right. I mean, you just exactly. simply they would have flatlined because that's yeah. that's the adaptive response. Right. So
2: thumbs thumbs are a- adaptive, but thumbs are not heritable because there's no variance.
1: But right. you know whether you right. have hair on your thumbs—that would be heritable. So, but, so
2: heritability is an individual is is used to 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 talk about individual differences in the population, and a lot of what is adaptive wouldn't show that sort of variability. So,
0: but that just seems to insulate it from any sort of falsification. If you say, "Well, we wouldn't be able to tell right now whether it was heritable or not," is not the same thing as saying
1: a th- we have a the- reason I mean, to a, believe a that it was heritable. It's a theoretical. You know, model of interpretation of a given set of data that, in the absence of that evolutionary explanation, oftentimes it simply makes absolutely no sense. And sometimes, right. just so stories just so happen to make a lot of sense. You know, if they're borne out repeatedly from all sorts of different angles in terms of the evolutionary question, uh, it would it will never be completely falsified. I agree with that. That doesn't mean that it's uh, wrong or philosophically problematic either. It just means that there's only so far that it could actually take us.
0: So, are you saying that in order to level this criticism, you have to come up with a plausible alternate explanation for the for whatever data you have?
1: Yes, yeah, I would. I'd say that's true. I mean, and, you, always... and you would also there would be you would also need. I mean, to really develop a, a compelling, clear evolutionary explanation for any given psychological response or human behavior, you would have to look. You would have to have an, a large suite of experiments that address basically the same hypothesis and same set of questions and you're all and it's they're all arriving at the same ultimate conclusion
2: and and you know one of the one of the probably one of the problems uh with psychology is that one of the most fruitful hypotheses to come out of natural selection has been sexu- about sexual selection because sexual selection can generate hypotheses novel hypotheses that can be tested be- you know as sex differences between men and women and and that it's fruitful as a way to actually go about testing sexual selection theory because it's so easy to test the differences between men and women but the the ease with which sexual selection can be sort of can generate hypotheses and test them means that so much of evolutionary psychology has been about differences between men and women which obviously is going to get get a yeah, lot of people okay. upset right?
1: because again that, that just harkens back to the whole immutability question that, yeah, determinism exactly. and we can't change the way that we are and all that nonsense right. but i mean my whole Which my is, whole approach to this is of course you need to know how things work in order to tinker with them and uh, we have to understand the mechanisms underlying uh you know really horrendous human behaviors to ever hope to solve those problems
2: yeah
0: but but this objection is about the science and maybe about the sort of
1: well on the surface it is epistemology but I'm not sure that's the, the nature of the objection that you know, I'm not saying that that's not your, what you're doing here, but I think that when people offer offer these, you know, the, under the guise of these are just, you know, philosophy of science problems, not moral co- problems, I'm, I'm quite skeptical about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I remember it, this is, I think, in your response to the criticisms, and there were many, including by my old colleague P.Z. Myers, who we've had occasion to mention on this show
2: before. Yeah, I'm, not familiar, uh, I'm familiar with that name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people can google so, jesse bearing PZ myers if they want more uh more it, as i did last <laughs> night actually
0: what dave told me he said that they had a beef he said that it was it was like jay-z and nas and then as if worried that that was too obscure a reference said <laughs> Uh, Biggie and Tupac, yeah. <laughs> like I wouldn't get Jay Z and Nas. Anyway, this is what you wrote. Where were the sa- these same outraged critics? I wonder when I wrote enthusiastically about the evolutionary psychology of humor, blushing, athletics, male body odor, suicide, and cannibalism. Yet whenever the issue relates to female sexuality, whether it's the pre- prevention of rape or the evolution of female orgasm, the most f- the fields most out. Spoken opponents turn up in droves. Is this a debate over quality control in a particular academic field or a battle over politics and ideology? I wish I could believe it was only about science. When the skeptics chime in, I I suspect they are egged on by politicized reactants. So, I mean, I think everything you say is true. I mean, I think it is motivated by political, uh, politicized considerations. I think those, the philosophical assumptions behind those political objections are completely false and based on a, a lot of different misunderstandings that we've just talked about. That said, it does seem like evolutionary psychologists will use that as a way to sidestep what is still a legitimate, I think... Scientific philosophical objection to the assumption of heritability. It's like a, almost a default assumption.
1: Well, they, again, they are inherited. There's no her, there's no heritability right. per se. Yeah. So you wouldn't. You just can't detect it. At the, if these are true psychological adaptations. Okay, well, then well they
0: were heritable at the time in which right. they evolved. It's 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 a claim. I guess that it doesn't seem like. One the- I, mean, have the right I mean it's to a fear theor- it's a
1: theoretical interpretation and I don't think that anybody would uh, anybody in the field anybody good in the field of evolutionary psychology would disagree with you um, but right. it's the best we have <laughs> so either we just don't ask these types of questions when we are when we're presented with data that at least are strongly suggestive of uh, some evolutionary process underlying it um, because you know ultimately it can't be falsified or uh, or we, we do so with sufficient caveats, and I think that most evolutionary psychologists include those caveats.
2: And there's, you okay. know, there's actually. Fair enough. And I, I think maybe we, as, as just behavioral scientists in general, should do a better job of this. Uh, but, I, but I think that there is good – there are good instances in which hypotheses were generated from evolutionary theories, like sexual selection theory, that turned out not to be true. And they turned out not to be true because the evidence didn't bear it out. And, exactly. Okay. And so I, when people say, well, you can't falsify it – So, what, so what's, uh, what's an example of that? See, I, can't, I can't think of any. Jesse?
1: Well, I, I would imagine that the specific hypothesis within yeah. the evolutionary theory could be – it would be falsified.
2: Right. And that's what but I'm that saying doesn't about make it, falsifiability. That doesn't mean it's, like,
1: it's either an evolutionary interpretation or it's not. I mean, well, everything yeah. is, I mean, to me, everything is evolved. And um, yeah, the question, that, that's the starting point. I think it's a safe starting point to assume that we are the product of natural selection. But what I mean
2: to say is that when people say it can't be falsified, they think that somehow the goal of evolutionary psychology is to either prove or disprove evolutionary theory, which is not the case. Right. That has to stand or fall on its own. But but you can falsify hypotheses generated from evolutionary theory it's not as if it's not as if you go about like doing an experiment that would that could never give you disconfirming evidence
1: yeah i mean i would
0: and jesse nobody's denying that we're all evolved by natural selection but but doesn't follow from that that every trait that we have is the result of an adaptation no but who's saying it is?
1: i mean that's i don't think that anybody i mean i think that just because we have hypotheses that they are or they may be or how they would work and we we try to test those hypotheses, you know, led through an adaptive um, framework and that, you know, the data happened to bear out in line with the evolutionary expectation, then it's like, it's an empirical question. I mean, this, these are falsifiable questions. If it doesn't work according to the way that, right. you know, evolution, evolutionary mechanisms would be hypothesized to work in terms of selective value, then you wouldn't find them working that way. But yeah, there are plenty of things that, that just simply... Are here <laughs> you know, right. it's like the color of our blood. For instance, it's red, not because we're, you know, if there's any specific reason that it's red. It's just the, you know, the product of the, the hemoglobin um, inside. So,
2: right, right. I, I think Pinker had a recent discussion about this, like in one of the, one of the back and forths about evolutionary psychology on on the Edge and I'll link to this because Pinker I think offers a nice defense of how there are certainly ideas that might derive from from uh, natural selection theory that are we're just wrong they were just wrong and and we know that they were wrong just because they were derived from from some view of natural selection doesn't mean that we're going to find evidence for it but
0: before let's take a break but before we go i was saying before the show that this is possibly my favorite title of all time <laughs> I think this was from Slate. I have it in my notes. This is the title. Hey Andrew Sullivan, stop calling my penis mutilated.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was Scientific American. <laughs> Can you explain actually. what led to that?
0: Uh what led you to write a column?
1: Oh, I had written years ago in Scientific American about um some of the recent findings suggesting that heterosexual males that have sex with women are less likely to acquire the HIV virus if they are circumcised because of the receptive cells uh, underneath the foreskin. Once they're removed, you reduce the chances of acquisition. And... It's an incredibly politically heated debate, male circumcision, which I, I wasn't aware of really, to be honest, at the time that I male began writing. But, well, they're called yeah. intactivists. These uh. you know, people that feel very strongly that uh, males who are circumcised are basically no different than females who are, who have their genitals mutilated. Um, and they're really trying to change that cultural practice. And I am completely on board with it. If there are no uh, health or medical advantages or benefits that are associated with it. And if it's done simply as a cultural ritual, I think it's ridiculous. You know, if it's any, some sort of religious reason for just circumcising males, I think it should definitely be done away with. So, what
0: about aesthetic benefit? Um, <laughs> I,
1: I go either way with circumscribed or circumcised. <laughs> <laughs> I go either way with, I have a circum, I do not have a circumscribed preference for circumcised versus circ-
2: uncircumcised. Surely, Tamler, you don't think that there's some platonic penis that is actually circumcised?
1: Well, I mean, aesthetic. <laughs> the yeah.
0: form of the penis. Circum- <laughs>
1: no but gordon Gallup did have a theory that circumcised <laughs> circumcised males in fact would have better reproductive prospects because they're, they're they
2: can penises, scoop out
1: yeah scooping out more
2: oh uh, okay let's take a break <laughs> and talk about that we'll be right back hi mm-hmm. i'm doug Ladd. two rules man
0: stay away from my fucking perk sets And do you have any fucking Percocets, man? All right. Okay. But if you don't have any Percocet and would still like to help support the Very Bad Wizards podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you clicked on the Amazon link on the support page of our website before shopping at Amazon. That'll give us just a small cut of whatever you buy at no cost to you at all. Just shop like you normally would, but take that extra two seconds or so to go to our website and click on that Amazon link first. We've also set up a donate button where you can donate via PayPal. We're very grateful for any donation, no matter what size. Finally, don't forget to like us on Facebook, rate us on iTunes, and send us emails whether you agree with us or disagree. Oh, and listener Matt Welsh has generously offered to operate our new Twitter account, at VeryBadWizards, that'll keep you updated on the latest news about the podcast. If you're a Twitter person, please follow us there. If you want to tweet us a question or a comment about a particular episode, best to do it on our personal accounts as well at Tamler and at Beans. Back to the show. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. During the break, we learned that the Supreme Court, in a five to four ruling, has
2: approved. Like, they what struck happened? down the Defense of Marriage Act. So, so they're, they, yeah. they 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 struck down the law that was actually.
1: So they confirmed that I'm a human being.
2: Yeah. It's Basically. good to know, because this whole time I've been suspicious, but now that it's a 5-4 ruling. Um.
0: Je- Je- Jesse, uh, for it those who don't, don't know, he is our first openly gay guest. That I, we've had on I like the how
2: you had to like qualify that with openly. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I, mean, I, have, I have my
0: suspicions.
1: It. Yeah, it's funny. About- when people describe me as openly gay, it's such a strange...
2: Yeah, hopefully that's one of those things that no, will not need to be said. Uh, well,
1: the, I mean, actually, I've been thinking about this because I've got my 20-year high school reunion coming up. As far, I mean, we had a class of I don't know, 800 something like that, and it was a large class. And we had, and all I know is that there are three gay people, <laughs> which. Definitely really? seems like it. Yeah, those numbers, it fit the, the fit, numbers fit are up. Well, at, openly gay people, yeah.
2: after a few drinks, maybe you'll bring two or three. More, yeah, we'll find out. More out. <laughs> I think that that Juan Juan should be on board with that as a service to the community. Right? He, are you I'm gonna
1: sure Are you and Juan sure. gonna tie the knot now? That's a good question. We actually have a legal civil partnership in the UK already, which we had to do when I lived there uh, for work purposes to, to to allow him to stay in the country legally. I don't, I don't think it translates to anything legal in the U S we, we actually, I mean, we haven't been terribly motivated to do it, honestly. Um, we're more sort of the cynical gay couple, (laughs) but, but, uh, I suspect at some point it's something that we'd both want to do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I, I just, I I know that that there will be plenty of news by the time people hear it, it'll be old news, but like what, what a fucking great day, like for like human beings like it 's just it's just so, strikes me that it 's just so weird that that it 's two thousand and thirteen and this is this is like th- that this came now, but like
0: yeah, and I would imagine which way weird which way i think it's in some ways it's it's it 's happened so fast all of a sudden it 's just been this rush the grand uh, scheme
1: in the grand scheme of things, I think it was a quite a, an abrupt transition actually, yeah, and yeah. i think that there I think that part of the Part of the difficulty that we'll face as a society is the fact that it did happen so abruptly, and and many people are seeing it as just sort of a legalistic uh, response. That's and they'll be following begrudgingly, uh, yeah. without sort right. of genuine, right. well, genuinely like changing Brown, hearts. Right, like
2: Brown versus Board of Education. Like a lot of people begrudgingly desegregated, and like yes, and that yeah. that presumably was was good because then, then So it, hopefully,
1: hearts and minds will follow. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
2: you know, should, you know who should be really happy right now. Divorce lawyers.
1: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> like,
2: this is going to be a. It's going to be
1: some
0: flamboyant <laughs> divorce.
1: <laughs> well, like, it does no, read like, a lot. It does. I mean, in terms of like our earlier discussion about evolutionary theory and. Sex differences and uh, monogamy and so on, it does raise a lot of interesting questions in terms of uh, what the divorce and separation patterns will actually look like when it is so universally uh, formalized.
2: Right. But even if it's the same exact rate, all of a sudden you have like a whole new group of people who are getting right. yes. divorced. Like-
1: I wonder actually if there will be anybody spe- legally sort of specializing <laughs> in gay marriage.
2: <and laughs> That's almost prejudice.
1: It shouldn't be, yeah. You- now that they're all the same. You Can you imagine,
2: like, be- I'm an interracial divorce lawyer? They're subtle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I specialize
1: in. Exactly.
0: <laughs> I only represent black women.
1: Yeah, I guess it would be equivalent to that. Wouldn't
0: it? You have a theory that this is going to lead to a reduction of the gay population. This, right? I, I love this. Or a thought. hypothesis. This,
1: I love this
2: thought. It's so. It's like so counter to what the your political. When you're <laughs> celebrating this, it seems so weird to then take your mind to to this potential consequence. So so lay it out.
1: Well, I mean, it was just sort of amusing, really, about um, (laughs) what gay society will, will look like after this turn of events, you know, Thousands of years down the road, and I think that it's uh, it's 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 interesting to note that I think historically a lot of homosexuals were in traditional, which would be heterosexual marriages, um, and having lots of children. So um,
2: I can speak. Oscar Wilde had a bunch of kids. We don't even need to go to Oscar Wilde. We can go to David. David David doesn't
1: personal firsthand experience. (laughs) And
2: uh, so you're coming out now too, Dave? I don't know. You know, you never asked me before, but but (laughs) for the record, my my wonderful ex-wife is is lesbian, and uh, we yeah. share a year old daughter. And whom
1: you have a daughter with, right? Mm-hmm. So if there, is, uh, if there is heritability or uh, some genetic uh, factor associated with sexual orientation, especially the heterosexual or homosexual orientation, you would expect um, this to be a dramatic reduction in same-sex couples where adoption becomes much more common and or you know not having children at all it's not to say that you know gay people are infertile and won't be able to reproduce if they want right, to but okay. i think that it, it will simply be less common now that they don't have to
2: so wouldn't it be funny if there's like a, a drastic increase in lesbianism because lesbian couples uh both decide to, to have a baby right <laughs>
1: Right. That would be interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I was thinking more sort of from, the, from the male uh, perspective. But yeah, I mean, yeah lesbianism, you the maybe it can go in the other direction. You
2: only need to recruit one person and, and you might actually – so that might actually make them <laughs> genetically just take over the world.
0: So what there should be is just, uh, yeah, very few gay men and just a lot of – gay women <laughs> kind of like a-, a frat guy's dream
2: <laughs> what are the best estimates of the proportion of of gay gay men and women in
1: well it depends on how you define Homosexuality, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the original Kinsey data is often criticized because uh, Kinsey was asking about simply having gay same sex experiences, which doesn't necessarily make one gay,
2: right? right. Um, or else Tabler would be. You, the need, gayest to man. Sex, right? you need to have sex Or else Tabler would be the gayest man in the room. I he, mean, sexual orientation
1: pi- is <laughs> a it's a psychological orient. It's a psychosexual trait. Mm-hmm. It's not about behavior. It's about what you are primarily aroused by. Right. Uh, and um, so just simply engaging in some homosexual... In terms of the the proportion of the population, um, there are no clear... Numbers essentially because how many people are still in the closet? I mean, we just right. you don't know. You know the people that are out, and you're going to get a sampling bias, of course. But um but so you know. if you
2: took a thousand people and showed them as so, uh, this isn't a joke. This is really how people do it. They, so they show they show erotic imagery and they measure penile blood flow, for instance, like with a plethysmograph. And so if you took a thousand people at random and showed them gay and straight porn and measured their arousal levels, now there are a lot of problems. Maybe even mm-hmm. with assuming that that is a measure of, of being gay, because obviously there's there's a, a whole social uh, layer. Yeah,
1: there's gay as like a social identity right. an identifier and then there's homosexual in terms of your right. actual erotic orientations. Right. right. Uh. But
2: so
0: I so there's gay like I went to Smith College and you know, <laughs> I'm 19, 20 <laughs> uh, and then there's gay I actually get turned on by people of the same sex.
1: Whether you admit it or not, yeah. right, right.
0: Whether right. you admit it or not.
2: So, just with the arousal to the same sex, is there any actual good? Like, because there have been a lot of studies done. You
1: know, actually, no. I mean, it's kind of a surprising answer that there really isn't any, you know, figure like that. Yeah, there's lots of speculation. I mean, people throw out these, oh, it's two and two and a hundred or something like that, two percent versus ten percent. Right. I mean, the bottom line is we don't know. <laughs> Anytime uh, Yale has- was,
0: uh, people used to say one in four, maybe more.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever. If you look at if you look at just sort of dalliances and you know, you know, adolescent experiences and all that stuff, it's right. dramatically higher, of course.
2: Right, right, uh, right. So.
0: Now, in your new book, you say that you are way on the scale of being gay, and that you're disgusted by. The female anatomy. I
1: don't think I've used that term exactly. I, don't think I, I wouldn't put it quite that way. I mean, I, I, this is a, this is an interesting question. You know, with whether people who are at the far end of those of this uh, this erotic equation, if you're completely heterosexual and complete, or completely homosexual, do you find the genitalia of your uh, of the the non preferred sex? Uh, disgusting, or are you just simply not aroused by them at all. Right. Is there an emotional response to them, a negative emotional response to them, or you just simply have no response to them? Um, and I think it's probably—I mean, if I just had to hypothesize, my, my guess is that it's probably more of a disgust response than yeah. uh, than it is just simply having no response.
2: I mean, that question is actually—that's your that's, response.
1: That's my—that's my yes. Yeah. I, I'm not vomiting or anything when I look at a vagina, or you know I don't. It's decidedly
2: know, non-arousing.
1: it's—it's like, it's, it's, it's aversive. Yeah, it's but, aversive. but that's the. This penis. question
2: is is more much more salient for for gay people because uh, men grow up with their own penis, so it's when I see another penis, it's not disgust. I wouldn't call it disgusting it, but it's just an absence of arousal, right? It's
1: no, like, no, no. But like, so uh, really, I. Uh, I, I, mean, maybe. I Maybe uh, a lot of straight guys actually are disgusted by other men as just I don't no, think I,
2: so, because they watch porn where, like, guys are,
1: are like, true. totally yeah.
2: doing...
0: I no, know. no, no, but what you could be disgusted by, and this is true of me, I'm also, like, at the... So I'm, at, I think, at the far end of the straight one, but I'm disgusted by... We'll see about uh, that. <laughs> ...just seeing some sort of sexual activity between the... Yeah, and You know, used, whereas my like wife them, is actually, also completely straight, but isn't <laughs> disgusted by seeing other women...
1: Right, uh, so when you show gay men... Sorry, when you show straight men, graphic, gay intercourse, anal intercourse, you get very strong emotional responses to that, very negative, aversive, disgust-related responses, and it changes psychological processing as well in terms of how they think about gay people. They become much more homophobic after being exposed to that type of material.
2: Right, which is which is a weird exception to to the whole view that like co- like increased contact or increased empathy is is a good strategy for understanding people.
1: You know, you know guys, we always put it right in people's faces. <laughs> well, yeah, shove it down people's. That's throws. why. That's why I don't want to make it about. Yeah, gay, I, mean, I
2: don't want to make it about gay people, but any any sort of in your book, uh, perv. Which is when is it coming out? October. October. Uh, October so, is, so still a while, but get it when it comes out. But it, just it, Trying to understand anybody who has different sexual desires than you is a really hard thing. It's hard to get into the mind of someone who's aroused by something that you're not aroused by right right we can only right. we can
1: only understand it very theoretically and from an objective sort of removed perspective because when we attempt to think like they think how can you possibly turn you know find that attractive <laughs> right. we are disgusted by it. it and therefore and the disgust motivates the way that we think about these questions
0: and you mentioned, but i don't know there's sometimes like foot fetishes I, that does nothing for me like you, you see like yeah, not, women yeah. sucking on each other's feet or a guy's feet or something like that it just it makes no sense to me but i'm not disgusted by i it. i'm totally
1: disgusted
0: it depends on the feet i think like a nice males. pair of feet you're disgusted by like you know
2: yeah i kind of am because i don't know where those feet have been they've been in shoes all day long Ugh. you have a, you're kind of germaphobic that's yeah, why i'm a little
1: not. Yeah. and yet you'll put a penis in your mouth david
2: <laughs> <laughs> listen i came out about my wife i'm not ready for anything, anything else. baby um, steps baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so you mentioned actually in, in the ch- one chapter in your book um, that people tried this. They tried to like show straight men gay porn. And was the attempt of that study to like get them to like maybe put themselves in the place of, of like, uh, but-
1: They They wanted to find out whether – let me, let me try to remember, I think they were trying to find out whether first of all, they actually got aroused the people It was one of those studies where they right, were looking right, basically right. at reaction formation of people who said that they didn 't like gay people right. secretly do did they get arou- did they get erections and so on uh, and this was actually before the invention of the penile plethysmograph pl- 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 or the, the widespread use of it anyway um, in laboratories. so they just simply tr- they just simply asked them, "Do you feel any genital sensations while you 're watching this and um, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I mean this, uh, the surprising thing was that the the, the men who and these were just you know straight presumably straight college you know undergraduates the ones that had the most uh, homophobic uh, personalities were the ones that felt the most genital sensations which is in line <laughs> with the later studies showing that they actually get erections when they watch gay porn too so and it's um, like
0: the american beauty effect
1: yeah <laughs> like the- it was yeah gonna- exactly it's exactly like that so the moral
2: outrage <laughs> causes erections i swear
1: yeah there are lots of criticisms you know maybe well they just get physical you know they just get they get aroused by the anger response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, what happens
2: to me when I see like pro-life protests. I just yeah, get you a boner. Like,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> They're so, kind of sexy. Yeah.
1: So, but I think that the but you know one of the other things I looked at was that how how just simply exposing straight men to to gay sex uh, actually affects their behavior, um, and they endorse statements that were really homophobic, like, you can't go into a, a restroom these days without some gay guy showing you his dick, or you know, just some uh, really sort of, <laughs> This was this was done in the 70s, you know, so, yeah, yeah, take yeah, that yeah. with a grain of salt, but, but uh, they, they, they liked gay people much less after they saw gay porn. <laughs> just that, See, This that,
0: is what that, I'm talking that. about. No gay man has ever shown me his dick in a restroom. Me neither,
1: uh, and I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. and I've never shown it to another man in the restroom either. Uh,
2: you need uh, that app, grinder. Maybe. Do, do you have the Grindr? app
1: yes this is no no, no. Sorry. I, I, i'm aware of it i don't have this
2: is why the iphone was invented actually hey, do you know this this app tamler no okay so you sign up for it you have it on your iphone and other people have it on their iphone and basically whenever you're in the vicinity of somebody who's down for like a quick hookup it'll alert you and, and so you like the map, oh, yeah.
1: like the google map yeah yeah google.
2: and it's obviously it's explicitly targeted at gay men because i don't think like the lesbian <laughs> community probably doesn't need like this
1: i don't I don't know or, or bisexual man Let's or, bisexual,
2: them or oh, that's right or bisexual man. so yes. you're walking around down and you, you can see like you know like a list of people who are like this guy's down for like a quick blowjob in the like to to give a quick blowjob in the bathroom stall right like it's like a market it's like
1: yeah and you see the little pictures of the person
2: yeah, too, and you, you don't realize as you're walking if you're walking around with somebody who has this app you'll realize how many people around you are like down for gay sex mm-hmm. yeah. but no but they have this also for straight people yeah, yeah, they they my, my, straight
0: my people brother guys. was telling they're me just about not quite this. as active
2: they're just not yeah there's <laughs> No, you're not getting caught. You have to turn alerts off on Grinder because – or else like – Right. <laughs> it's
1: just, just like your phone. You seem pretty familiar with this, Grinder. <laughs> it
2: fascinates me. It fascinates me. And, you know, I don't want to perpetuate the true stereotype that gay men are totally From down for <laughs> yeah. well, Is men, that a true stereotype?
1: I mean, we're just male. We're, yeah.
0: I know.
2: Like, it's just – imagine. Men, men want to have sex all the time. Women, you know, like they, they turn us down. Well,
1: I mean, but. there are – I mean, all these things have – they come with caveats. And, of course, there are individual differences. Not all – Men are hypersexual, and um, you know there is a tremendous range in terms of the the amount of sexual activity that a, that men have. Right. Uh, it's,
2: it's not even an interesting finding because uh, it's men who want sex more than you know. So that data is true. so it just so happens that if if you're gay, another man is the partner that you want. So well, we have to...
1: a very we have pretty much an unlimited supply of sperm cells. Right. <laughs> uh, it's just this sort of vast holding, and you know this this sort of uh, <laughs> libidinal indulgence is not costly to us whatsoever right. Right. there's no risk associated aside from sexually transmitted infections there's no other risk we're not exactly and you don't have to worry about that because
0: you're
2: circumcised so
1: you know. yeah i'll scoop it all out anyways so.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like like uh, jesse's written a whole bunch of books so i'm going to mention another one but he has uh so i if, haven't really you're just having. this is great the one that's the uh, third third book coming out yeah the one that's out now um is it's called why is the penis shaped that way and it's a collection of essays uh, that is just it's i love how you just can talk about these things with with just like the straightest scientific face why uh, is the penis shaped
1: yeah that i way? mean the it's a, it's a very peculiar shape if you don't understand, I mean, if you if you look at it without without having the evolutionary framework, it makes no sense whatsoever to have this like this strange looking appendage dangling between our thighs. But the, I mean, the basic evolutionary argument, of course, is that the uh, the coronal ridge, which is a distinctively uh, human feature of the penis, which is that sort of ridge uh, that underneath the, the, we'll, the we'll a mushroom cap. Froze. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You can see me using my hands here, which. <laughs> <laughs> I'd but, uh, actually prefer to see your hands. Yeah, I can give you a, an actual demonstration, but uh, I'll, I'll refrain from doing that. Um,
0: to call Juan into the room for that?
1: Anyway, the argument is that, that this scoops out um, the sperm cells that have been deposited there by another male in the vaginal tract. Um, and what that suggests, of course, is that in the ancestral past, at least, it was fairly common or routine, or routine enough to actually lead to selection pressure. uh for for women to have sex with multiple male partners within around a twenty four to forty eight hour time period, which is the right. lifespan of a, of this right, form, so.
2: the, the theory relies on on that that sort of behavior on the part of the females, and you can actually see at least there are pressures for penis size as well in non human primates, right? Yes, so th- it does so, matter; it really does yeah. matter,
1: and it matters more for. I mean, it matters in terms of pleasure, but it also matters for the male himself's reproductive success. The deeper you go, the more sperm cells you're going to be able to pull out. Right. So, in in, in, in
2: primates, in which in which women, uh, the females tend to have sex with a lot of males within that that time frame, they actually evolved to have large penises. But like gorillas have very small penises, right?
1: I mean, it's tiny because they're harems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they've, they've got just one male with multiple female partners
2: talk talk about a topic that can be quickly misunderstood by the lay
1: audience (laughs) people have strong feelings about penises
2: my dog charlie is
0: a big sort of basset mix has just an enormous disgusting penis (laughs) Uh, just uh, a a big red like there he is you can
2: hear him right now it's like Uh, it's like a lipstick for a giant
0: Charlie, we're talking about your penis. It's yeah. That, I mean, is
1: not, that actually, I mean, that is, there must be some sort of signaling. Here I go, here I go hypothesizing my crazy evolutionary psychological theories. Just with, so story but, for big penises. Yeah. But there are, I mean, there are a number of species He's that have rejected. brightly colored genitalia.
0: It's like the peacock effect you're, you're the with handicap. the red penis. Yeah.
2: I feel like we had some topic that we were actually going to ask <laughs> ask about. <laughs> um, yes.
0: uh, I want to before we get off the topic of penises. I wanted to ask. Uh, I think this is from the the book. You say you'd suffice it to say that your penis looks more like your father father's penis than it does mine now my dad
2: is that is, is 90 years true. old
0: I, I don't know that just disturbed me that my penis looks more like <laughs> was that your question
2: my dad. was that the brilliant the brilliant comment to, to, to write?
1: well that, i mean that is a good example though because i mean what, what is adaptive is the shape of the penis the basic shape of the penis but of course there's going to be individual variations within the exact the actual morphology or appearance of the penis how much
0: variability i just wanted to be assured that Not my penis doesn't look like my Dads, right now, because you know
2: it's it a will. mess. It will. My dad's penis is a You're mess looking time. at the future, Tamla. You're, you're looking at the future.
1: You're just a baby. You're still maturing.
2: <laughs> yeah. you'll
1: have a penis just like your father. What
2: disturbs <laughs> me the most is that is that scrotums hang so low. They'll like when when you get old. Like, what? Why? What? I, I think well, Dave Chappelle talks about getting a scrotum lift, maybe like uh, as an aesthetic <laughs> scrotum <laughs>
1: Yeah. I actually wonder because there's this this, this theory that uh, the the activation hypothesis that that sperm cells are activated by the retraction of the scrotal surface right. so that okay. when as soon as you 're about to come, basically your balls retract as close to the body as possible and it it crosses this warmth threshold which releases the sperm cells and um, so I wonder if aging somehow re, you know interferes with that mechanism because just, if there's that if you 're that saggy.
2: Right. It like it's like a can't lot get of work. That temperature, there, there's uh, like a calorie. Ball. It's expensive in terms of calories to get your balls all the way back up. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. balls are like,
0: oh, man, I, you know what? I, no, fuck <laughs> this. I'm not doing it. Don't this. you have calories? Yeah. Oh, this oh, is,
2: this man. is science, my friends. This is science. We had other
0: stuff to talk about,
2: right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm actually, so your book is, again, about paraphilias. Uh, the, the forthcoming book is just about, about deviations. So tell us a bit about the research process for this book. Is there is there anything that bothers you to read about? Like you talk about so many things. Like does like pedophilia like get to you? Yeah, any, I was yeah. gonna
1: say. I mean, there's a lot. There is a lot of dark material, uh, yeah. obviously, that you have to deal with when you're covering a topic like sexual deviance. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not easy reading, <laughs> to, uh, to be honest. Yeah. But I think it's important to understand the science underlying it, um, what we know, what we don't know, and uh, have a, a clear-headed conversation about it.
0: Right. Uh, what's the worst like that? thing that you read?
1: Oh, I mean, I think the most difficult the most uh troubling uh things to read are the sort of first hand testimonials about you know children had, that have been abused and what it was like, and you know, them feeling disgusted with themselves and with the perpetrator and uh, you know really yeah. sort of getting into their heads uh about how such a traumatic experience uh works and um that was hard I mean that's very difficult to to read the other i mean there's a lot of there was a lot of material obviously I mean, the books. Just got a little of that I didn't want to sort of overwhel- <laughs> overwhelm overwhelm yeah, yeah. people. Well, it's but, it's,
2: it's, it's bo- that wraps up a whole host of other well, tiny- and I
1: didn't want to you know you can't. I think it's silly and it's cowardly to just just ignore that material. Right. I mean, I think we have to talk about. It. I didn't it's want to a, just write a. I just I didn't want to just write a book that was kind of, sort of carnival esque and uh, you know we're just sort of gawkers at a sideshow looking at strange paraphilias. I mean, right. I think that stuff is very interesting, but uh, right. to really understand sexual deviance, you've got to go into some unpleasant territory.
2: Right. It's
0: not all nipple clamps and um, <laughs>
2: bondage No. How do, how what's the like current list of uh, of paraphilias? Like how big is it?
1: Well, they've. I mean the the only sort of reasonable estimate that I've seen is uh, sort of on the range of 500 or so. Right. Strange. I mean, a lot of them are literally an N of one. Right. Uh, right, right. And it was uh, the list itself was compiled by an Indian psychiatrist, uh, a forensic uh, psychiatrist, I believe, who was simply interested in these topics. And uh, I asked him, you know, did, did you are there actual case studies for every single one of these paraphilias that you list here of 500 and he said well for most of them yes but there there are some that you know i've just had conversations with uh, with my colleagues they've seen patients that have reported these types of things or word through word of mouth right. and so on so i think we need to take some of them you know, like I don't know, climacophilia. You can only get an orgasm when you fall down the stairs. For instance, uh, with the, I wish with the, I had that. Given how often
0: I fall down stairs,
1: I would imagine in the history of our species, you know, there probably has been one or two people that have had that condition. But, but so, I mean,
0: what are the most? Yeah, give give your top five of just the wackiest.
1: Well, there's um, there's a which is actually not that. It's unusual, but, I mean, in terms of the demographics, it's not as unusual as a lot of others. But acrotomophilia is uh, being attracted to somebody with an amputation. Oh, yeah. And a lot of these people have very specific... Uh, body parts that they can—they can't be attracted, for instance, to somebody who has an amputation on both legs. They just need one leg, and maybe just at the lower, <laughs> you know, at the beneath their knee or something on the left oh, side. Oh man, um, that
2: just really limits your your like fucking
1: range. Well, they're, they're, it's not that they can't necessarily get aroused by anybody else. It's that that's their sort of core. Right, right, that's their most right. trusty trigger. In terms right. of they of have
2: to image. think about that right. while that's their know, ideal Tamler's, image. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't even know, to, want to know what Tamler thinks about when he's crying really hard.
1: <laughs> but there's a related. There's a related paraphilia called a pot of um, and you might have seen some of these people on jerry springer um, or shows like that I mean, these are people that are aroused by the thought of themselves as amp- as amputees
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, and so they're they always can, trying to cut off their own limbs like, yeah so they uh, they,
1: they want to so they would Growing up, even as adolescents, they would stand in front of a, a, front of a mirror, to, and to masturbate, they would you know hide a leg behind their back or something like that. That's the only <laughs> way that they could get off. Uh, so they're
0: and, masturbating to themse- to the idea that they themselves would have one limb?
1: Yeah, and yeah. they grow up oftentimes to really have a very strong pressing urge to somehow sever that yeah, a healthy yeah, body yeah. part, a, an elective amputation basically. And because cosmetic surgeons won't do that <laughs> – um,
2: Oh, well, well, but they'll body. circumcise you, but they won't cut off a limb. That
1: <laughs> well, that's what I – actually, I raised that point in the book. You know. Can we call somebody that only is attracted to people with an, a circumcised penis uh-huh. a, a necrotomophile? I mean, it's a, a severed body part, too. But, but the, those were two that were fairly interesting. There's the um, objectophiles, uh, who I think are quite interesting. The objectophiles are... Sexually attracted primarily to specific inanimate objects, so they're not fetishists. They're not like into panties or you know shoes or something like that. Um, but it, they are attracted to a very specific set of panties or a very specific. Oh pair wow!
2: Of so it's shoes. not the category; it's the actual. It's not the category; yeah, it's the <laughs> object.
1: Uh, and oftentimes, it's no particular category of object. It's just that that individual object. Right.
2: I don't and want no, your blankie. Like, yeah.
1: So these are the people like Erica Eiffel. She was in a documentary about objectum sexuals. These objectophiles She. Fought she fell in love with the Eiffel Tower and married the Eiffel Tower. And um, she, these people see, but, but Wait, more, legal more to commonly, to Eiffel Tower? well, more commonly they're they're just simply everyday objects like right. ladders and flags and uh, you know bookshelves and things wow. like that. The interesting. I have thing, a pretty
0: hot bookshelf, actually. Okay.
1: <laughs> well yeah it's, well so the so the so the dominant theory is that it might be related to something with uh, autistic spectrum disorder because a lot of these individuals are as, actually on the autistic scale mm-hmm. uh asperger's uh um individuals for instance but the but they also seem to to have this object synesthesia where they basically ascribe mental states to. Inanimate objects. They, oh, confuse, wow. they don't understand sort of the distinction between human beings and objects, and they see personalities and objects, including feelings of lust and desire in the object <laughs> right. for them.
2: Wow. Like, wow. So these people, these people was like, asking for yeah, it.
1: These people really think that the objects themselves have feelings for them.
2: Oh, wow. So that seems pretty disturbed. I was going to say, you know, it's easy to laugh at like these weird ones, but like these people suffer, right? I mean, that's...
1: It's... Yeah, and the the point in the book that I try to, to make, you know, sort of the, the main message that I try to deliver in the book, is that I think that we're focusing too much on the question of what is natural and what is abnormal. I think that's right. largely a philosophically vacuous way to approach these types of questions. Right. I think we need to really be turning our attention to what is harmful. Right. Um, because really, who the hell cares if somebody is having sex with a ladder? Right.
2: I <laughs> it, mean, it's, in, in some sense, we all we all have paraphilias like, because we all have idiosyncratic sexual sex, – like things that turn us on in particular and it's just – It
1: yeah. depends on how you operationalize paraphilia. I don't think that most of us would meet the clinical threshold for having paraphilias. But we all have our preferences. We all have strong – we all are turned on by certain things more right. than others. Right, right, right. Um, but the – but yeah, I think that the, the, we are so preoccupied with this question of what is natural and, and unnatural that we're losing sight of the more important question of what is harmful. But I think that if we focus so much on that that, that literal definition of causing suffering against somebody who is uh, um, uh, not consenting, then you run into problems when you find suffering with somebody who is consenting.
0: So, So what do you think we should focus on then?
1: I think I think we need to reevaluate uh the uh, the libertarian perspective that uh that a sexual relationship is the business of the, of the parties involved and what somebody experiences as being harmful is oftentimes dramatically different than what another person experiences as being harmful. So to impose the expectation that they should be experiencing harm or must be experiencing harm I think is, um, is, is questionable from, uh, from a humane sort of moralistic uh, approach.
0: So uh, So, this, this so to- consent is the big – but is the moral consent
1: criteria. is a big is a big part of it? Yes. So where um, does this
2: leave uh, zoophilia? Zoophilia is a tough one. It, it, I actually want to say I've been wanting to say this little anecdote uh, on on some episode of our podcast because it blew my mind. It's a, I, I teach a moral reasoning course at Cornell, and uh, I think it was my second or third year. Um, I got an email from somebody it wasn't a Cornell email address but it was it was uh, somebody who was obviously a student using another email address and the question that he asked me was do you think that it's immoral to have sex with a dog and oh, every- that was me that was <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> the, at first I, I brushed it off because i thought it was somebody just like fucking with me and like so i actually just said po- i pointed him to to a slate article by william salatan and and to peter singer's uh, uh, work and uh, then he, he was like, no, but I really want to know what you think. And he told me a story about his friend who, who, who ha- had lost his virginity to his dog. And so uh, there I was like, oh, man, do I, do I even engage this? And then as – but uh, he, was, he seemed sincere, so I emailed him back, um, but still a little tentatively. And then he emailed me this very long story about how actually he had uh, – he was engaging in a continuous sexual relationship with his dog and that he had been doing so since he was in high school and he, you know it was hard not to take it seriously he was he was essentially saying you know my dog is very special to me my dog uh, seems to enjoy it seems to like display approach behavior and he was like, emotionally as well as ero- sort of erotically attached to his dog. And wh- what he really wanted to hear from me was whether I thought it was an ethical violation or not. And so, the, I mean, the way I answered it is sort of not important to the story, but I, I, I essentially gave him a libertarian answer. I said, you know, on my view of what is ethically wrong, I do not think it's ethically wrong, but I do think that it's, it's behavior that society just is not comfortable Wait, with.
0: Wait, you, so you're just assuming that the dog really does want it and enjoy it?
2: Uh, no, I don't even have to assume that. Like, I don't. I, I'm actually why
0: because what if the dog is miserable,
2: I don't I, want. Like I don't want to get into that uh, right now because you kill and eat animals. Um, so, so yeah. that, that I don't. I mean, this I like is animals.
1: this is this is the type of. Uh, it's not what? just simply. I mean, the that's problem that's a totally here is that this,
0: legitimate this, this, question. Yeah, like what? Like why is that a libertarian answer if the dog has no interest? No, in-
2: no. It, it's it's a fair it's a fair question, and I was assuming that well, you was, were responding to what you saying. What he was saying, he was, he was, saying was, that he was true. Right. That it was an right. approach uh, behavior. That was just and so my question. question. Dog didn't <laughs> that's formalized, okay. and
1: this is these are the types of questions, of course, where we, it really becomes evident why it's so difficult to to even think about these types right. of questions, let alone you know arrive at any. Yeah, a dog. You're
2: initiating sexual behavior with humans <laughs> all the time, right? I mean, we dogs hump. So, so it's, it's not, it's not unreasonable to think that they Well, the, might, the yeah. example
1: that I give in my book in, in perv, I talk about zoophilia quite a bit, well, not quite a bit, but a little bit. And, uh, there's, you know, let's say that you've got, um, a zoophile who is only attracted to horses and the, the zoophile is, you know, masturbating her stallion or something, um, you know, several times a day. And she, she gets pleasure from it. It looks to her as though the the animal's right. getting pleasure from it too it's actually a jacket she has evi- she has evidence <laughs> she has physical, uh, physical evidence physical
2: tangible evidence <laughs> but... her hands are the plethysmograph
1: <laughs> and then you've got and then you've got and that that behavior is actually illegal i mean that's that's bestiality technically um the, the
2: bestiality, in illegal states, in many
1: states that would be considered animal abuse but 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 it's perfectly legal for somebody who owns a stud farm to gather sperm in a horse by, you know, putting a a rod in its rectum and electro-ejaculating it, um, which is a very painful uh, process. It's the same. It's the same outcome. One's pleasurable, one's not pleasurable, right. one's legal, and one, the other is is not legal. So the
0: one that is not pleasurable is the one that's
2: legal, and the one that's exactly. pleasurable. So is, the is one, it really?
1: Yeah. A, so do we really have these laws on the basis of harm, or is there something right. else sort of fundamentally at the right. bottom of? Clearly not. Clearly
2: not. I mean. It's it's, it's some sort of gut moral stance which which may or may not be reasonable but but clearly it 's not about harm like
1: right? yeah and i i mean it it is you need to, you really need to sort of dance around these topics very carefully because you know 'd be very crystal clear about what you 're saying because right. um i i mean like animals i 'm a total animal lover of the of the platonic kind <laughs> right, and right, uh right. and don 't want any animals or children or anything like that to suffer so um but but I also think that we need to think logically about these types of things but
2: whether uh, they have a fun uh, whether they have a right to engage in this behavior tabler what's your ethical wait, position I, on this then like if
0: it's so if it's not i mean I, i'm drawn in two ways for all my jokes because uh, i'm an animal lover to the point of especially a dog lover like to the point of insanity but too, yeah. uh, but i but i don't want to have sex with them as much as I joke that I do, I really actually have no interest in having sex with a dog <laughs> now, part of out. me thinks well, if the dog is get you know like I can get into dave 's mindset of uh they, I, you know, if, the, if, if nobody's being hurt and the dog likes it and you like
2: it, then, yeah. you know, and have you, fun. Let me be clear but, because you didn't let me finish answering that question because I, I, it sounds like that was all I said. It's not wrong. But, like, I did go way out of my way to say that this is behavior that is going to be perceived as extraordinarily odd. It might be – it might actually come with some deep social consequences. And then right. I, I encouraged him to, to actually talk to a therapist about it. Okay, good.
0: But then I also, but part of me also wonders whether an appropriate reaction is no, you can't fuck your dog. Like what the, what the hell is wrong with you? You can't fuck your dog. It's your dog. You don't fuck dogs. Like what's wrong? Like what? Like, are you? Uh, and you know, and I and I take it that's the kind of reaction then, Jesse this, yeah, that you that's, don't that's
1: want. All, to I mean, that's what we've been for thousands of years, of course. So, right. Uh, that's what I
2: would tell my kid. If I would tell a son of mine if I found him fucking my fucking my dog, I would just say no. And if you said why, <laughs> well, and, I would the say, zo- and the zoophiles, uh, the
1: zoophiles, of course, would say, "Well, this is our sexual orientation." And people said the same thing to gays and lesbians. You right. know, just fifty years ago, you can't fuck another guy. You know, It's, right. it's just that's the same sort of response they would say anyway. They would they would see that on the same, yeah, uh, you know, in the same But category. see,
0: this is where you know people who object to gay marriage by saying it's a slippery slope. It
2: is
1: a slippery, it slope, is a slippery slope. in slope, the, yeah. it, but that doesn't make it. That doesn't have anything to do with this. Uh, you know, right. sort
2: of and That's kind deeper. of why I'm so quick to say that it's not unethical because, like, I I don't want. Wants to be a hypocrite about this, like I actually, you know. And I
1: also think that we need to really ask ourselves: Why are we so absolutely petrified at, of what's at the bottom of the slippery slope? Right. You know, what is at the bottom of the slippery slope, and what are the consequences of that? Right. Um, like you know, it's at not the like same
0: time, it's you're not necessarily being a hypocrite to say that two people of the same sex should be able to, but that you shouldn't. Uh, fuck your dog. No, right? but, it's you do not,
2: need, I, but you do want to give a reason, right? You do want to to have a good reason to distinguish between the two, right? You can't just yell it louder. At some points, reason bottom out, and you're going to have, have to point, go back. From go a by.
1: clinical technical perspective, um, sexual orientation applies to the paraphilias. I mean, these people are they just, they have just as immutable sexual orientations as somebody who's gay or straight or bisexual. Nobody, of course, would choose to be attracted to their, to their dog, to right. an 8-year-old or an 80-year-old or something right. like that. Um, I mean, so the same, the same logic applies, I think, to any um, sexually deviant pattern. And I use deviant just sim- simply in the, the statistical sense of the term. Right. Um, people didn't choose to be this way.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I always thought child, you know, people who are attracted to children, it's a really interesting case because on the one hand, and I feel this very strongly, especially having a little girl, that, you know, it's, it's, it seems like one of the worst things that you can do in the world. Like, there's nothing worse than that. On the other hand, you know, like, how much would it suck to be born into this world and to find yourself only attracted to children, right. like only sexually attracted to children and that it's a, like a struggle, that right. that's a, a struggle that you have to overcome on a daily basis, every time you walk past a school, every time you, you know, right. that, uh, that, that you know, so you also can feel a little sort of, because it's just not something that I have. It's, ne- right. it's not a struggle for me I think at it, all.
1: What we need to permit ourselves is the, 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 um, is the, the right to feel sympathetic toward pedophiles who understand that their actions are completely inappropriate and would harm children. Um, there are pedophiles clearly who have been, you know, sexually, you know, they, they are clearly understand that they have psychosexual uh, traits that orient them to children and they never act on them because they know how detrimental they would be and right. disastrous they would be to a child. And they successfully keep from doing that. And I think that we need to support those people um, and help them stop doing or not engage in that type of would behavior.
0: you support then like some sort of animated child pornography
1: I think I would yeah because I mean it's not an actual child who what is being harmed there and there are these sexual catharsis studies showing that um, you know when you have sexual outlets like pornography with adults you know men looking at uh, that have access to uh, to regular sort of adult female pornography or whatever, uh, there are less sexual offenses in those yeah. societies. So, um, if you can construct some sort of simulated child version that doesn't actually have any capacity for suffering or, uh, or harm to be experienced, um, I don't really see the uh, the logical point of not allow not not. What about manage. like a child robot that they could
0: actually <laughs> have
1: sex?
2: With. I mean, I think the only objection has to be that you know that, that it encourages actual victimization, and and that's a question of evidence, right? Mm. I think
1: it's, that's it's, an empirical question. I mean, it's obviously a really hot button t- topic, yeah. and I think it. I mean, even to. Um, even to raise these types of things as like philosophical problems, you know, people think that you're sort of t- somehow yeah. taking a stance about right. you know one way or the other. <laughs> right. That's not. We need to explore the nature of our you know, discomfort with the topic and uh, try to come up with uh, solutions that work and harm less children in the end and and animals or whatever.
0: But that's only an object that you say that's the only possible response, but it's, it's, it's not right, Dave. It's, it's, it's the only possible response if you're a utilitarian.
2: No, I mean, I I think think
0: that there's something just wrong with jerking off to children.
1: Yeah. it's disturbing uh, but it's disturbing but if ultimately that translates to less actual children being harmed yeah then what is our what is our sort of visceral emotional response what is the utility of that i mean if ultimately more children are going to be harmed in the end um, yeah
2: and i'm suspicious of just relying on the gut response because of how much harm it's done right i want reasons and i don't need to be a utilitarian to care about reasons and nor do I, as a deontologist need to uh ignore consequences right i think that there are probably firm theological grounds about rights and all of that stuff that that would at least make me not object to to uh, a pedophile masturbating to to cartoon images of porn right like i don't I think I still think you need to do more than yell because people yelled about gay people for so long. Like it's not that's not a fruitful area. Of- yeah,
1: I mean, if all you're doing is simply just you know they're just you know coming out of the ether and you're locking them up and with a big judicial broom, right. it's just a never-ending uh, problem. Right. So I think that we really need to you know, look at alternative uh, solutions yeah. to what is an enormous problem. In fact,
0: but even harm-based justifications bottom out in terms of reasons at
2: some point, right? I mean, it's true. I, I mean, if if the- only point well, you're not, making
1: not is not that, in I I mean, to me, harm is absolutely everything. Right. So, uh, so
2: you might be a true diehard. But you, but
1: that's yeah. where
0: your reasons bottom out. Like, I could ask you why is harm uh, absolutely everything. You can't give me a reason for that.
2: Yeah. But but harm. I'm I'm okay with my intuition ending at harm. I'm not okay with my intuition ending it because it's wrong. But
0: that's, yeah, agree, that's yeah. you.
2: No, I think that there's a distinction to be made. Like, if the only point you're making is the boring one that no ethical position, like, at some point reasons stop, that's true of mathematics as well. But that doesn't Bible mean says, you can't. The
1: Bible says no. <laughs> yeah.
2: There's, like, there's a difference. Like, the stopping point has to be a place in which I think is a, is a fruitful that
0: place. You appro- that you approve no, of that as, mo- as that, a moral evaluation.
2: I think that's really unfair to say that, like, I'm just relying on a gut gut aversion to harm and therefore i'm just as irrational as somebody who's like it's gross like that's just not i don't think that's the case i think i don't think i need to defend the fact that like harm as as the stopping point for my moral well and
1: also when it turns to reasoning about sexual deviance um harm is an essential component of that because it's it's a social interaction between at least two parties uh well unless you know well if it if it's a social uh if it's a social interaction, of course, you know, the, the, the harm component seems to be the most fundamental one. Um, it's an exchange of uh, pleasure, or at least it's it's designed to be anyway. In um, healthy sexual relationships.
2: Yeah, I, I can see why the animal case is especially disturbing. Like because we have no idea what the animal thinks about it. But but again, you don't have no idea what the animal thinks about being killed and eaten either.
1: Exactly. Like used to test pharmaceuticals or something like that. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I, we pretty much know what they're thinking. That they don't like it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we don't care about that. We yeah. care about whether you know somebody puts his penis inside of a, a goat or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's- that's
0: like saying it's rape is okay because uh, you know it's there not are like cannibals. That at all, it's not, I'm I not mean, defending like, no.
1: cannibalism.
2: I'm not, that's, I would have to defend cannibalism to say that.
0: Like, no, no, no. You're misunderstanding the analogy. You're saying it's okay to have sex with your dog because people eat animals.
2: No, you're misunderstanding, no, 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 no. You're misunderstanding yeah, my he objection. He's
1: misunderstanding because ob- it's not, he's not saying that it's okay. I'm not saying he's, it's simply, a- he's simply pointing out the fact that we don't even – we don't get disturbed by these other types of questions in the way that we get disturbed by the sex
0: questions. Oh, right. So, so, so. someone who objected to that would be inconsistent.
2: Exactly. exactly. Unless they were a vegetarian. Exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah. Certainly there are people that feel that any type of behavior like that is completely horrendous. Right. Um, so.
2: Okay, so maybe we should end end here. I'm getting a little burnt out. Me too. It's been like <laughs> I hope I'm, I didn't say
0: anything. Yeah, too... I never thought this would happen, but like all this offensive dirty talk, it's like, it's like know, It can run its course. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. All right, thanks you guys. I'm
2: more brains than you have pay no attention to that man. anybody can have a brain
1: you're a very bad man
2: i'm a very good man just a very bad wizard